at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And good evening. Welcome you into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptel C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter. With me as always, Alan Medlock for Red Dirt Red Bird and A Medlock One on Twitter. Joining us this week is St. Louis Post Dispatch columnist Benjamin Hawkman, who is um on at hawkman on twitter he's got a book coming out we're going to talk a little bit about that but uh benjamin thanks for joining us oh my gosh uh, I'm, I'm i'm honored to be on and and great timing this week i wrote a column about meeting at museum yeah absolutely we we were very glad to see that headline right there on the front page we need to figure out some way of uh of stealing it for the show uh logo or something of that nature because uh, it fit very well and and this year was such a, a that resonated more, didn't it, this year after having a year off? Yeah, and that's what I wanted to write about in the column. And I think we're all cut from the same cloth where we kind of cherish the idea of meeting at Musial. It's kind of a, a, a gathering spot for, for everybody of the same ilk, Cardinal Nation. And uh, there's something just about seeing your buddies or seeing your family members and making that eye contact and that connection. Even if you're uncomfortable hugging or handshaking these days, uh, you're, you're still getting to see people you care about and then share the experience of seeing your favorite baseball team. Yeah. I, you know, we, we saw opening day from a distance. You were there. Alan has been at the ballpark this week uh, watching the nationals. Um, but just, I want to talk to you and then I'll get Alan's opinions too, but what is that like now? Is, is it, is it the same? Is it, is it still comfortable or is there that whole new vibe to it? Like, I I guess I don't want to make a cop out answer, but I think the answer is, is all of the above. Um, It definitely is a familiar feeling and that's the best part of it. When you're in that stadium and you hear the organ or you hear John Hewlett's voice doing the public address announcements, um, and you hear the crack of the bat and you, and you eat a hot dog. It's, it's just like it always was. Now, if you start thinking too much about the, the specifics of everything and why there's no one sitting to your left and why you're wearing a mask and et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's baseball in 2021 and, and that's the reality of it. But I think, I don't know, from the people I've spoken to, there's more of an optimistic mindset of those inside the stadium. And it's not like, gosh, we have to wear our masks while watching the game. It's like, we get to watch the game and I'm fine with wearing my mask while doing so for the most part. Alan, did you find that uh, as you were up there with your family this week, what was that experience like for you? I agree with that. I mean, it was, uh, there was a family feel to be back in the ballpark in the, in the, familiarity with what you what you're used to of being back and it was nice and you realized not to take it for granted but then there would be the situation where you would be gone you'd go to get a get a water or a hot dog and like Hawkman said and and you would kind of I wouldn't say let your guard down but maybe just sneak in to grab something behind somebody and get that look like hey why are you so close to me I mean that happened yeah. to me a couple of times and then uh, you know a couple of nights later a guy did it to me and I turned around and asked him I said hey I go, feel free. I said, I think I offended somebody by doing that the other day. I said, but man, in Oklahoma, it's just kind of been a little bit different. You know, we're, uh, we're kind of opened up and a little bit like that. He said, man, I'm from Illinois, and it wasn't like anything like this. He said, we're completely shut down. So it's just one of those reality situations that kind of uh, uh, it, you kind of come back to a little bit in, in, in that kind of an instance. But other than that, it, it was like it was like like I said before the show started, it was it was emotional and it was element of surreal to be back yeah. but but yeah that's just that's kind of how i felt about it as well yeah i mean again i'm you know we're watching it from the the tv from from my point of view and it is i mean it obviously felt a little bit the same you know you hear the crowd which is better than the piped in music and you see the you know for opening day you saw a lot of the festivities even if they were a little bit tweaked um 
it it does feel a little bit more like back to normal. Yeah, I, one way I can explain it is it, it's um, it was a situation to where it's kind of nice to have the more room, you know, when you're sitting <laughs> in your section, but by having that more room in a big rally or something, you can just tell it's kind of missing a gear. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like the Yachty Homer and the Carpenter Homer in the national series are the only two that really were, you felt were, you know, just huge. Like the stadium was going to blow up and, and, and th- there were other instances in a rally where it just didn't feel like that when it normally would. One thing I think is pretty cool is the idea of, opportunities for getting a foul ball (laughs) i mean there's so many fewer people there like like i saw these guys and like normally you see someone who's like 19 with a glove you're like all right dude like come on like you're basically (laughs) an adult you don't need to bring a glove to the game but then i'm like you know what in this day of age where you're basically patrolling your entire section uh yeah I, i can understand uh i can understand that yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that uh, they're kind of frowning on you know you going too far to chase it, but as long as it's, you know, you do have a lot fewer people to throw elbows at, so that's a, right. That's a very interesting, interesting idea. Um, before we get back though, before we get back to what's on the field and the the issues and problems and joys of all that, wanted to talk to you, Benjamin, about your new book. It's eleven and eleven. You've got a website, uh, 11and11book.com to, to talk about it. You can find it on Amazon. It's coming out in a couple, in what, the 24th? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you can pre-order it on 11and11book.com right now, and I'll sign it. I'll sign anything you want. No curse words, but I'll sign it. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's it's 2011. I don't think we have to know why you wanted to write about this, but <laughs> um what was that like that experience of reliving that now in and trying to put a book together about it? Yeah. I wanted to write a book that anybody that's in Cardinals nation could, could buy and know that they could read this thing forever and it would touch them. You know, I wanted you to always have on your shelf. You can always say like, I open those pages and the memories come flooding back. And I also wanted to put a lot of stories in there that fans hadn't heard before and interview people that maybe hadn't been interviewed before and, and really just kind of pay homage to what was the greatest sports experience in my lifetime. And, and probably many people listening to the podcast right now. Now, it, were you in town for that run? Or I can't remember when you took over at the Post-Dispatch. Yeah, so I was working for the Denver Post at that time. I was an NBA beat writer, but like, I'd say luckily, but luckily the NBA was on a lockout and uh, I had some more free time. So I was able to uh, travel home and my buddy and I got last row seats in the bleachers and, and watched game six and game seven. Yeah, so you you did, you really did see it as a fan, and like we would versus the media side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, be, and because of that and just being surrounded by St. Louisans and St. Louis Cardinals fans, um, it was just an experience that, that I'll never forget and couldn't have gotten if I was up in the stuffy press box, which is, I mean, believe me, I love being in the press box. I love covering games. It's my job. It's my lifestyle. Um, but there was, I was really fortunate to just be around the, the, the average regular fans uh, and, and watch them all soak it up because as I tried to explain in the book, like the experience of watching the freeze triple and the freeze Homer is something that like physically and psychologically happened to all of us that can't be replaced and can't be matched again. It was just this like these two moments of bliss that were so special and, uh, and no one can understand it unless you're a Cardinal fan, but that's the cool thing that it now connects all the Cardinals fans Because just like in a sadder way, generations prior would ask, you know, where were you when JFK was shot? Now, in our generation, in our world, you say, where were you for game six? And uh, everybody lights up and everyone's got a fun story, even if it was just sitting on the couch by themselves, biting their fingernails. Yeah. If if you weren't one of the hundred thousand people that were there that night, uh, hundred thousand, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> at least uh, to, if you ask the people, um, <laughs> as you're putting this together, did you find out some things that maybe you weren't aware of, or were kind of new little tidbits that you were kind of thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
when when you when you watch the team and you watch the games, you you sort of understand the personalities, but you don't really realize how the machine works. And really finding out the importance, and I, I mean, you probably know what I'm about to say, but like the importance of these role players: Ryan Terrio, Nick Punto, uh, the Shredder, of course. You know, Gerald Laird, guys like that, like. Their importance on this team. Ask Chris Carpenter. You know, ask Freeze. Ask Ask Holiday. They'll all say it. Like those were the guys uh, that that were kind of like the, the added the special sauce that that made the 2011 Cardinals a champion. You were. Uh, it's amazingly brilliant. I guess maybe it's the way to say this. But your book starts with the great starter Chris Carpenter and ends. <laughs> like Jason Mott is going to get the save in this book. I mean, that's, that was really a pretty interesting way of, of bookending your story. My man, thanks for noticing that and <laughs> talk about things falling into my lap. So I kind of know Jason Mott because I, I emceed some of his charity events along with Ben Fredrickson from the post-dispatch. And I, so I was like, who can I get to write the foreword for this book? Well, I know, I'm like, well, I know Mott, I'll reach out to Mott. And you know, he like, he's like, I'll get back to you type thing. He's got all the kids and his job and you know, the whole thing. And I hadn't heard back from him. And I'm like, and I had a deadline to, to, to tell the editor who would write the forward. And literally this particular day, I was like, I don't have Martin. I have to ask somebody else. So I asked Chris Carpenter and he was so kind to say, yes, I'll do it. I'll write the forward for your 2011 Cardinals book and I'm you know getting goosebumps just talking about it. I'm all excited and then like an hour or two later I get an email from Jason Mott like hey man let's do this let's do this <laughs> I'm like where have you been the last 37 days and um but it, it but it worked out because I was like all right like you said I was like all right Jason Mott was the closer so I'll have Jason Mott close the book with his remarks and of course Chris Carpenter the great starter will start things off with a forward that's and that is, I, I can't wait to, to see what those guys have. Of course, what you have in this as well. Um, looking really forward to that. Was there any, were there any road bumps in this process or was it fairly smooth for writing it? Well, I mean, road bumps only in just like when I write something, I pour my heart into it. I'm not mm-hmm. sound, trying to sound cheesy or whatever, or, or trying to make it. I mean, I wasn't curing cancer or anything. I'm just writing a book, but like I wanted to, I had one chance to write this book and I wanted to write it right. So I, I mean, I was up many, many late nights trying to get the right quote in the right place and the right anecdote and, and use the right words to describe the moments because I really wanted to capture this. And, uh, and I, you know, I think I did in, in addition to just from a baseball standpoint, I interviewed so many fans and got so many stories uh, of, of folks just like us that uh, were at the game or were experiencing the game in a special way at a special time in their lives, game six and game seven, and uh, was able to capture their, their emotions. 240 pages. I imagine it reads very, very quickly, um, especially as people are going through this. Um, looking forward to it. I, I think that that's going to be a, uh, you know, it's, it is one of those things. It's been 10 years, which seems kind of hard to believe too. And that's yeah. just long enough for it to be in our memories, but need a bit of a refresher as well. It kind of, kind of helps in that regard. Yeah, totally. And on the website, I mentioned 11 and 11 book.com. I've got some uh, paragraphs on there that show uh, what, what were some of the extra things in the book, some of the fun stories and some of the, the people that were interviewed, such as the governor of Missouri or my favorite, the dancing granny from the uh, YouTube <laughs> um, some nights. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 I was, that was one of the, I mean, that's the thing is like during, during that year and, as just a reporter, I'm always like, I wonder what that person was thinking. And then when I got the chance to write the book, I'm like, I will find that dancing granny and I will find her story. And, and it really was like an amazing story. In addition to the fact that she just lost her mind dancing about the Cardinals, <laughs> which is, you know, again, she was probably not the only grandma. She just happened to be the one that was on tape uh, exactly. doing that <laughs> at that time. So um, it is fairly easy to lose your mind about the Cardinals. Um, and this season is no exception as, <laughs> in good ways and in bad ways. Um, we're seeing them, you know, I, I have, it was six to nothing last I checked tonight. 
Um, now it's eight to nothing. I, yeah, okay. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to check anymore. Um, offense has, you know, they thought they were kind of fixing the problem with Nolan Arenado, and that's definitely been a help. But you know, what is it now? Getting close to it, it's like two or three, two and a half games now of, of no runs. It's it's still a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's still a problem, and. You know, I, 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 I wanted Jack Peterson. I, I was, I was screaming his name all yeah. winter and, and tweeting his name and writing. And I'm not saying he's Babe Ruth, but I, I just felt like he, he could have contributed to this team more. And uh, they decided to go with what they had. And of course, O'Neill's been injured, so we, we don't fully know uh, what his ceiling is. Though I can jump to the conclusion that it's not very high. Um, but yeah, I mean. They're, they're not getting much offensive production from most of the players. And the fact that they're getting crazy offensive production from Yadier Molina, which you'd mm-hmm. have to admit is probably unsustainable. It's like, all right, it, when he's going to start regressing at some point, you know, somebody else has to step up and, and this Carpenter thing and this DeYoung thing, it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating. And I know it's only April, what, 16th. And we can always say that, but I, I think Cardinals fans are savvy enough though, to like simultaneously be like, look, it's super early in the season, but things are really stinking right now and kind of have that balance. Yeah, I mean, there are problems, and, you know, maybe they'll work themselves out, but maybe they won't. Um, And I think that maybe the most notable of those is Matt Carpenter, because you look at the overall, you know, baseball card numbers, and they're not good. You look at the underlying, you know, metrics like exit velocity and hard hit balls and barrels and things like that, and it looks like it's going to come around. Where do you sit on the Matt Carpenter question? Well, I mean, I, I think Matt Carpenter is not a starter. He, he And he, he keeps starting these games. And I know he was 0 for 2 earlier tonight. Uh, I don't know if he had another at-bat since I checked it last. But, I mean, yeah, he's 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 not the guy we knew. And I know he, he still can make contact and, 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 and hit a ball hard a lot. But if it's I, – the reality is the reality. The reality is the team is losing or is a 500 team – and he's been batting too often. So what do you do in this scenario? And and um, can you keep him as your 25th, 26th man and, and not have to start him every other day because he was really good in 2013? I mean, that, that that's the situation. So, I mean, I'm fine with him being a, a reserve, but I'm not fine with him eating up important at-bats every other day. And it's still, again – Batting order may not be the be all and end all, but it is something we tend to focus on because it's easy thing to focus on. And seeing Matt Carpenter in the fifth spot or sixth spot or anytime he's hitting head of like Dylan Carlson is a little disconcerting, I guess is the best thing. Is is this a is this a tell for what the organization thinks of Carlson, or is it just a we really want to get Carpenter going? I I think it's more of a Carpenter thing. I think they they understand that they really want Carlson to to be a bell cow, um, a, a cornerstone for years, if not decades, to come. Uh, but yeah, I think they're trying to see this Carpenter thing through and 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 just get him a few hits because if he can get a few hits, then they think, all right, then he's back to if you will normal, and then we can keep him on the bench. But but yeah, it's it's frustrating. There's no question about it. Yeah, Ben. I wanted to ask you if um, we kind of touched on all the things that were that were going wrong. You know, the carpenter, the De Young concern, the outfield still not really hitting. You know, O'Neill being down. What's the first shoe to drop? Um, I, it's probably a couple directions that I could lead you in, but just kind of what's your opinion that if things stay at this rate, what what will ha- what has to happen? Well, it's funny that of all days we're having this conversation is the night of a Carlos Martinez start because even after that last start, I would have said we have to at least consider him out of the rotation. And tonight he allowed six runs, which just adds to the thought that this guy is not ready for the rotation. And it's frustrating. It's in, it, it, Look, it's infuriating. I mean, I mean, the Carlos Martinez what-ifs, uh, we, we could sit down and, and do this for a while. Like, I mean, he was a two-time all-star and then 
you know, I mean, you know the story. I mean, he, he didn't come to camp in shape, and it led to injuries, and then it led to him being in the bullpen. He had numerous lost seasons. but I And I used to think, like, okay, he's still got some all-star in him, right? There's still mm-hmm. an all-star pitcher inside that man. Uh, but now, three starts into the season, I'm not seeing it. And, I, and, I, and once Michaelis and KK get ready – um, I, I hate to say it, but I think Carlos is a, is a relief pitcher and that could actually enhance the team. That could sure. be a, a win-win, a, a good move. But yeah, so to answer your question, I think a, a Carlos Martinez decision will be the first shoe to drop, assuming you don't count uh, the Lane Thomas demotion as a dropped <laughs> shoe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I, and I want that actually kind of surprised me. Um, I could see that. I, do you see it being a situation that we've seen the offense work? the last three or four years where they're going to pull every lever they can on the pitching to try to get it right before they look outside to do something. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know when a trade would or could happen yeah. for an outfielder, but I, I mean, if they're going to see it through, they're going to let these guys get more than just 20, 30 at bats. They're going to sure. make it 120, sure. 130 at bats. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, in small doses, Justin Williams looks good and yeah, in small doses, but the, it is, you have to admit, and maybe you guys have said this to each other and some of your buddies or even podcast listeners have said that, said this, but the fact that we're kind of like looking forward to Bader's return <laughs> kind of just captures the state of the offense right now. Yeah. Um, one of the directions I was kind of going and I just kind of wondered if this wouldn't be the first one. And like I said, way too early to to throw something like this out, but is Jeff Albert in the crosshairs right now? Oh, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have any inside information in regards to like him possibly losing his job before the season is over, but we have seen hitting coaches removed mid season in baseball. So yeah. Um, there, there, there's no question that, um, that he is the guy that oversees the hitting approach of the mm-hmm. St. Louis Cardinals. And if you look at any any stat you want, a baseball card back stat or uh, the most advanced stat on baseball savant or what have you, the stats are not showing St. Louis has a good hitting team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, this is clearly – if things don't change, this has to be his last season. There's, there's no way they can finish in the bottom ten of offense in Major League Baseball again – and say like this is our guy. This is he, yeah. this is this guy's maximizing our talent. So there's just no way. Um, but that's an interesting curveball that you threw there. And yeah, uh, I, I am curious to see uh, what will happen in the coming weeks and months with Jeff Albert, not just the whole year. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's an interesting one. You're right. I mean, when you go out and trade for an all-world third baseman, and if the results aren't any better, then you've got to start, you know, start looking at some different spots. We'll we'll, we'll note that Justin Williams hit his first home run tonight, so hey. uh, congratulations yeah. to him for that. Made it eight to two, uh, maybe too little, too late, but we'll we'll take what we can. Um, it's interesting, you know. You were talking about Carlos Martinez to get back a little bit back to there. If if you were going to do that with if Kim with Kim coming back. to you know, tomorrow that seems to have sent Daniel Ponce de Leon to the bullpen. And I think rightfully so. Um, if Miles Michaelis comes back, then are you leaving John Gant in the rotation instead of Carlos? I, I think so. If you, especially mm-hmm. if you look at the way he battled against Washington the other night. And again, it's funny, right? It's, it's almost like we're looking at this season the way NFL analysts look at football seasons because there's so few games. It's like each game is like a major <laughs> deal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gantz only had a few starts. Carlos has had only a few starts, but we're we're really microscoping them, if that makes if that's a word. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean. And yeah, uh, yeah so I, I think you keep Gantz in for now and and just say and just say Carlos, look, man, this is not working. Uh, let's maximize you to use that word again. And apparently that's going to be in the bullpen. Um, talking a little bit about uh, Ponce de Leon, we, we hit and again, it's a couple of starts, but this also kind of ties back to his track record. We've seen him struggle quite a bit. Is the bullpen the best place for him? I mean, is it a a spot where he's going to have to be that long man that, you know, almost Matheny like only in certain situations, does he get used or can he be a valuable part of it? Well, I mean, the, uh, the, 
the optimist becomes a pessimist, right? Uh, I mean, heading into this season, you you wanted to be optimistic about Ponce de Leon, and he he says all the right things, and he and he approaches it the right way, and the manager and pitching coach speak highly of him, but um, we haven't seen the results so far. But I think the reality is that there's there are going to be more injuries, and Ponce de Leon will get more starts uh, as this season unspools. Um, but I do wonder if he's ever a, a rotation guy. Yeah, the Cardinals have dealt with a lot of injuries they didn't necessarily expect to deal with, um, you know, at the beginning of spring training, and that doesn't help matters either. But injuries are always going to come, and that seems to be where they're not as strong as they used to be. Used to be the depth was there in pitching, in the outfield, wherever, and because of trades, because of, you know, poor performance, it feels like that depth has been dwindled a lot more than maybe any time we've seen in the last five or six years. Yeah. And, and you can look at it through a couple different lenses, but one of them of course is how much did the 2020 season affect the development of a lot mm-hmm. of these players mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a guy's not getting four or 500 at bats during a minor league season to, to learn how to, to, to lay off a slider and learn how to hit a curveball the other way and whatever it, the case may be. Um, so instead, you're you're wedging these, what's his name, Hurst, Matt mm-hmm. Hurst, I think it is, and Scott, I don't, what Scott Hurst, excuse yep. me, uh, you um, you know you're wedging some of these guys into into the big league lineup and pinch hitting them, who maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, or maybe they would be in a better spot. And you bringing up Scott Hurst does remind me, of course, he came up today or yesterday as they sent Lane Thomas back to. Um, the alternate side after a very rough game on Wednesday. I think Alan can attest to that in person. Um, it seemed, I don't know from, from my point of view, not that, that Thomas didn't deserve maybe to be sent down, but the fact that they not only sent him down, but then made specific roster moves to add a guy that was not even on the 40 man. Is that a, I know Mike Schultz said some, you know, some positive things about and Thomas would be fine and blah, blah, blah. But it kind of made it seem to me like the organization might have seen enough of him. Is that reading too much into things? I, I hope that's not the case because I, I still believe in Lane Thomas. Um, I mean, the poor guy. So if you look at it this way, heading into the 2000, I guess, was it the 2019 season? Mm-hmm. We were really high on Lane Thomas, or at least I was, and some of the other media members were too, and the Cardinals were too. He's part of the mix. He did well, and then he broke his hand. So you, you come into 2020, and you're like, all right, well, Lane will get his, his chance. He's still the guy he was heading into 2019. He just broke his hand. And then, of course, he gets COVID and has had a real rough go with it in 2020. And 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 even after it left his body, if you will, it still affected him, and it was another lost season. So, again, the optimist is saying – we're still dealing with the talent, the human talent that we saw heading into the 2019 season. The guy that was hitting 300, hit one out of Bush, the the whole thing in that 19 season. So I don't want to say after three games or whatever it is that his career is over. That's that's why I'm being optimistic. But you're right. The 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 40 man move. Uh, you know, as Derek Gould of the Post Dispatch always says, it's it's not what they say. It's it's the moves they make, and that's what speaks. Yeah, that's if of course. Granted, there was nobody else available. I mean, that's part of the the injury issue and the the depth that we're talking about. So they, if they were going to bring up anybody, they would have probably had to make some moves. But I'm just a little bit surprised they didn't, you know, leave him on the bench for you know the ten days or whatever it may be till Tyler O'Neill is coming back. Assuming Tyler O'Neill's back on, you know, and we know how Cardinals and injuries they don't <laughs> always hit the same timetable as as we would like them to. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I do find this alternate site pretty fascinating. And, and clearly some of the um, folks like John Vooch and the other front office guys are are, are pretty uh, curious and, and, and optimistic that they can develop dudes, uh, you know, over in Sauge. And uh, it, it's an interesting wrinkle to the season. And a lot of times, I mean, the, the one thing that we, whether it's fans, media, etc., don't can't really gauge is the psychology of the player and where he's at mentally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's something that the coach or manager can see. And that's why um, 
an option such as the alternate site uh, could benefit some of these players. Is there any media access to that alternate site? I mean, I know last year it seemed like people went to Springfield and then just kind of fell into some little black hole because nothing, <laughs> no information came out. Is, is there is there a way to find out what's going on over there? That's a great question. Um, I don't know the specifics on whether if I just asked if I could just go sit in the stands and, and watch a game or watch a workout. Um, that's something I'll look into now that we've talked about it here. But I, I also don't know how many like innings, if you will, right. are being played over there as opposed to situational hitting and, and things like that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of drills, a lot of the stuff that you see at the beginning of spring training, I guess, would probably be more likely since there's not enough people over there to, you know, play real games or anything like that. Or the old Tommy Mansky commercials. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they went back to back to back national championships, though, I think. Three in a row. Yeah. So um oh what else strikes your fancy about this team? Is there anything that just intrigues you after the couple of of weeks or or something that you're hoping that will kind of you know maybe you've seen a seed of something that you think might bloom later on yeah well i mean if if we're if we're allowing ourselves to be if i may overly or like really pessimistic about some things i suppose we can also be really optimistic of some things we're seeing in the small sample size and that's Tommy Edmond. I mean, they basically said to Colton Wong, a fan favorite, an organizational draft pick who they developed into a gold glove winner, they said, you're making too much money for us. And they basically said, you're $12.5 million we can't afford. We're going to go with the guy that makes $0.5 million in Tommy Edmond. And it's working so far. The guy is a, a great leadoff hitter. He's getting on base a bunch. And um, and he can play the outfield and the infield. He's a he's a modern day Okendo with a higher batting average. Yeah, it's it's I, it's one of those where he sees a ton of pitches. He's fouled off a bunch and and has really in at least in the early part eased a lot of concerns that they wouldn't have a leadoff man because he does it pretty well. And man, he's athletic. He can run. Yeah. And is it a situation where he's played himself into that? Is he going to play himself into that role to where he, they feel like he, they have to move him around in the future, which could possibly open up a spot for Gorman down the line? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the one looming issue, right? Is Edmund yeah. doing too well? <laughs> yeah. um, what, what do you do with Gorman? Um, but I, again, I think, Ed, yeah, like you said, Edmund's ability to play the outfield uh, might just have him be a starter in the outfield when Nolan Gorman's ready to start in the major leagues as an infield. Sure. And, you know, on the backside of that, I feel like when you have the, the start of Edmund, you, you see what Goldschmidt and, and Arnado are doing, and, and but you see what the young is not. I feel like that brings a little more spotlight on Albert. No question. And, and, I, I, not that I'm I really, like to see a guy fired or released. I'm not right. that type of not that type of guy. Just it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about an, an important cog in the Cardinals' machine, Paul DeYoung. And I wrote a piece about. I mean, a lot of these things I, I say that I wrote about are clearly things that fans have discovered on their own sometimes too. And what I'm getting at is is you you look at Paul DeYoung and and you think, oh, he's the He's the powerful cleanup hitter, right? And then you look at his stats and his OPSs the last three years are in the 600s one year and 700s the, the other two years. And, and of, of course, we there's excuses slash reasons for everything. And um, he battled COVID too. And I'm not making – I'm not saying that, that he, he should have fought through the pain and done better. Be, you know, that it's a major disease and clearly it affected him. But it was just another season where it's like – wait, uh, did, did St. Louis put too much stock in that first year of Paul DeYoung, which was a resplendent year, 857 OPS, and think that he was more than what he is? I mean, so that's what I asked in the, in the newspaper is like, is he a cleanup hitting all-star or is he a five through eight hitter with occasional pop but a really good glove? Yeah, that's a. I loved that article because it was. It echoed a lot of the things I'd said on here. I love DeYoung as a player, but I don't yeah. like DeYoung as a top through four one one through four hitter. I thought yeah. he was miscast, especially when he's learning shortstop on the fly. That's what it always drove me nuts. I will say this though, 
up until this year, I've always felt like if the Cardinals needed a shortstop and DeYoung was out there, we'd be talking about how interesting a player he was. Uh, <laughs> a shortstop with with 30 home or 30 double potential, you know, one of those type of situations. The yeah. more it goes along, the less I feel confident in, in that statement. And I don't like feeling that way about him. Yeah, and I and 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 he didn't have, if I recall, that great of a spring either. And then that's been part of it too. Like if I mean, if Carpenter or he or any of these guys have been doing really well in spring and then started off slow, that's one thing. But there just was was little optimism heading into the year. Um, at least from my from my vantage point. And yeah. This De Young story. I mean, yeah, like Again, Yadier, what he's doing right now, I know they're losing a lot of games, but what he's what he's doing though is is really saving some people's behinds, yeah. at least in the in the short term. But I mean, again, is is Yadier is Yadier nine ninety eight? I don't know what it is now, but the other day his OPS was nine ninety eight. Um, I don't think that's that's who he's going to be. No, I, I know. Derek Gould, I think he's on the when y'all were podcasting together, would often say, and I know I've heard him say other places and, and some others, the higher up Yadier Molina is in the batting uh, lineup, the kind of the worse off the Cardinals are. Yeah. Uh, and now Yadier's hitting fourth. So I think that kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of tells you something right there. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, again, you're right. We love Yadier and what he's doing. He really feels like if anybody got any benefit out of 2020 it was Yadier Molina because he didn't play 150 games one summer he only played you know what was it you know 40 or, or 45 and it feels like watching him play in the in the in the winter ball and then seeing him now it really feels like he's a bit more rejuvenated than he has been over the last couple of years yeah and 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 that, what i might say here is possibly a stretch but you also, in the same vein, you look at the amount of seasons that Wainwright missed due to injury, mm-hmm. and you wonder if that is benefiting him now at age 39 coming into 40 because he doesn't have that that many years. He doesn't have you know age 40 pitches on his right. arm, if you will, because he missed numerous seasons. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so maybe he's got a, a younger arm than his whole body, if you that's a good, that's a great point. Then yeah. I hadn't thought about that. You know, I knew that there was, you know, okay, you have some balance issues coming back from Achilles, but you definitely don't have the wear and tear on the arm. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw it. He was, he was, I mean, the best pitcher on the car, the most yeah. important pitcher on the Cardinals last year and say what you want about the shortened season. They still made the playoffs and, and, uh, and he was the most important pitcher on the team. When Alan earlier talked about shoes that might drop um andrew miller comes in again tonight and his struggles mm. again he got out of the jam with a double play but did give up a run and i think that's like three or four outings maybe in a row with a run now he had covid apparently before uh spring training started and maybe there's some lingering that but again he's what 36 37 years old is there a situation where you think they you know, with the arms that they have, that they make a, they kind of let him go. Probably not before June, but you know that he could be on the block there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they would be afraid to do that. Um, I, I mean, again, it comes back to the fact that the Cardinals want to win the division. The mm-hmm. Cardinals want to be in the tournament and try to win the World Series, and they're and they're not. I mean, I, as I'm saying this, I'm smiling because I'm also thinking about how many at bats they're giving Matt Carpenter. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking at least of the front office, like they don't they don't owe that much to Andrew Miller. So yeah, uh, it's about. It, I always say the word maximizing because that's what you want to do in any scenario. You maximize the assets, you maximize the situation, and yeah, if they release him or trade him or whatever it is, um, if that if he keeps us up, they're not just going to keep him around because he's a super nice guy. Though he is a super nice guy. <laughs> you know, what's funny is he's kind of the antithesis of Wainwright in a, in a way because he does not – he probably has double the mileage on his arm because he went through Francona. Yeah. You know, probably used him a ton. Yeah, I do have a question though, and it's one of those where will the Cardinals be able to maintain their discipline even if the rotation is struggling knowing that their best pitcher is probably pitching the ninth inning right now? Not tonight, but in big games. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, he looks really think, good. I mean, yeah, Reyes they, they, does. Uh, I, 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 I mean, again, that's the thing. Like, we're we're people like ourselves. Like, we're all in the same boat here. We're we're reading things. We're talking to people. We're analyzing stats, and we watch Reyes at spring training. We're like, this guy looks like an all-star starting pitcher. And but because of this endings thing, it's just yeah. it. I guess I guess what I'm gonna say, like, like clearly, it, it it doesn't make much sense that John Gant's okay to jump from 40 innings to 200 innings, but Reyes can't. You know what? Why why is it that these other guys can, but Reyes can't? Um, of course, then they would come back and give me some medical stuff. They would they would talk about the importance of the of the prospect, if you will, um, and probably some other things that I haven't thought of yet, but. But if they, gosh, I just, you're right. Like if you've got the guy, I, 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 that, I guess when, when I'm rambling about uh, commandeering your podcast here with my rambles is, 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 is that move caught me by surprise. And I would have thought they would have tried to, again, maximize Reyes by getting him more starts. Yeah. And they, they came out early to say that he wouldn't. That's the, I agree with you on that. It, it was, it was odd. I mean, it's my, my biggest fear with Alex Reyes is that we're going to see the best of him with another team? Oh, that's, what, that's what I'm concerned about after next year. You know that, and it's, you know, I don't know what the likelihood of them signing him, you know, or extending him or whatnot. But that's my biggest fear with him. Yeah, yeah, no, that that would be mine too. Yeah, and it it is it is very difficult for me to see exactly how they get to 100 innings with him as you know this back of the bullpen guy. I'm also a little bit surprised how how much they're easing Jordan Hicks into things. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they didn't necessarily just throw him right into the ninth. I, I can understand that. But to see him pitching a lot of games in the sixth inning, you know, right after the starter has left instead of, you know, maybe the seventh or eighth, uh, I, it's not what I expected. I mean, I'm not saying that it's the wrong move, but, I mean, we are going to see him start shifting back in the line, in the bullpen, right? Yeah, you would have to think, and and, and Mike Schilt loves the guy, and I mean he's a game changer with with this, with, mm-hmm. and that that pitch is triple digit digits, and it moves, and it moves. <laughs> it's 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 a beautiful pitch. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think he'll be pitching in higher leverage situations uh, in in no time. And one thing that came out this week, it was Monday night, I think. Mike Schilt came out and, you know, actually kind of said, hey, I didn't do my job tonight. Um, yeah. You know, he, he let Gant hit when he shouldn't have. And he's like, you know, I had reasons, but I won't tell you that they're the right ones and things like that. I don't know that, I mean, put aside the fact that, you know, that he probably was right that he was wrong, which is weird to say. Um, yeah. But I don't know that I've ever heard a manager come out and kind of admit where they have fallen down on things as much as, or maybe as blatantly as he did right there. Yeah. And it, I think it's a good quality, right? I mean, honesty mm-hmm. and transparency are things we can respect in a man. And yeah. I think part of it also plays back to the previous manager who, again, he gets ripped a lot, but he made the playoffs many, many times with the, with the team. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I, I always want to bring that up when talking about Matheny, but yeah, he clearly had his, his faults and where, whether it was bullpen management or even just dealing with the media, he had some issues. And that was the whole thing was that Matheny wouldn't, wouldn't be transparent. He wouldn't explain his decisions as well as Larusa used to. And as we're seeing, as as well as as Schilt does, so I think when Schilt took over, and and, and Mike Schilt knows uh, Larusa very well, and 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 understands some of the things he did that made him so great, and that that was one of them. It's just being like, look, I'm the manager, but it's not like I'm playing chess and you're playing checkers. Like we all know baseball, so like I can tell you like why I did that, why I moved, tried to move the runner, why whatever it was, and so that was really cool to hear Schilt do that the other day. Which brings me up a question about each of those former managers. One, I have I talked to some Royals fans before the season. And they were surprised at how much Matheny seemed to have grown um, from his time in St. Louis to where he then. Granted, it was a short season, and maybe some of the flaws were still there just to get it amplified. Have you heard something similar? Have you talked to anybody like in the media over in, in Kansas City to see if maybe that's the case for them too? Yeah, yeah, that and that and to Mike's credit, right? Mm-hmm. Um he 
I mean, we're, we all grow in our professions, and that's the thing is that we don't all have spotlights and Benjamin Hockman's and Ben Fredrickson's writing about every move we make uh, and, and podcasts, you know, dissecting it on a weekly basis. Um, but that, that's 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 the, the fishbowl that is Major League Managing. And, yeah, uh, he – I don't. I didn't watch many Royals games last year, but the people I've spoken to said that he managed the bullpen rather well, and um, and some of the media members enjoyed talking to him. And he is being more transparent. So clearly, uh, he's not stubborn in that regard. And the second question is, how weird is it going to be for all of us when? We face the Cardinals face the White Sox and Tony Larusa is in the other dugout. It's 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 really really bizarre, but it also kind of just speaks to like no matter how you or I want a storyline to go and how neatly we want it to be, you know, humans are human, and and uh, and and Tony Larusa, God bless him, wanted to get back in that dugout, and and there he is, and and uh, it's going to be super weird. And it's funny you mentioned that because we also talked about this book I wrote earlier because on the cover here, we had to, we had to make a change very late (laughs) to the process. (laughs) I'm holding it here. It says 11 in 11. That's the title. And then the subtitle is a hometown hero. LaRusse's last ride in red and a miracle world series for the Cardinals. So we had to add the word in red like on the last day. Cause it was right when he had signed with the white Sox. Cause it wasn't his last ride after all. <laughs> yeah. I saw that in the, in the <laughs> subtitle and I was like, they must've yeah had to scramble a little bit to make that uh, <laughs> technically true there. Um, I, I, yeah. mean, what is, I mean, but what were the odds of a guy at his age, who's already gone into the hall of fame, who's been out of the game for 10 years, putting on, I mean, one, you know, wanting to, and two, a team actually hiring him to put the uniform back on. And three, a team with a lot of great players that mm-hmm. could definitely be a playoff contending team. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a really, it was one of those really weird scenarios where you never would have seen it come and never could have guessed it. And um, gosh, I mean, I, I, I just, I hope it doesn't, I hope it's not like a Jordan Wizards situation. I mean, I hope, I hope Larusa does well and, and wins, but yeah, I mean, there's there's no dancing around it. It's just bizarre. <laughs> the it, the COVID situation and him coming back, I felt like was going to be an eventful first month, and we they've kind of flown under the radar as far as that's concerned. Yeah, and then they get the no hitter the other night. So yeah. That's fun. Um, yeah. So I don't know, uh, but what a fascinating team that is. Yeah. Um, oh man. They, 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 yeah. But I just I'd hate I feel bad for the the Mike Schultz not like follow me on this like the guys like a Mike Schultz mm-hmm. in that organization that had worked their way up and were like all right uh, if the manager leaves I might be next in line or at least consider them. and out of nowhere a Hall of Famer who's like pushing a <laughs> hundred is like yeah. can I be your manager? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, yeah. I mean, isn't Joe McEwing still over there? Is uh, I mean, at one time he was like a, a bench coach that seemed to be on the rise. And, oh yeah. You know, that'd yeah. be just ironic that his old manager didn't come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, before we, we go, Ben, I know you've, um, you've been doing some video this year for the, the Post-Dispatch site. Um, but, you know, we got to know you as, as like we, kind of the Cardinal fan base to some degree. When you were doing podcasts with Derek Gould, yeah. I know schedules, life kind of got busy for you. But do you miss doing something like that? Yeah, I always enjoy doing the podcast with Derek, and yeah, and we also had that radio show going for yeah, a while, yeah, yeah. writers block. So, um, on one hand, I thought that was, those were good opportunities to have people like yourselves and the listeners, you know, know who I am and know my quirky, ridiculous personality, but also passion for baseball and passion for writing. Um, but yeah, uh, life got in the way, you know. I mean, I got I, I got married, and now I have a baby, and and. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I'm not on there uh, very much anymore. But I totally enjoy doing it whenever I'm on there, and occasionally I'll, I'll pop in for a for a reunion, if you will, and uh, that always makes me smile. Uh, that's, and that's cool. And I I just feel 
I feel like we've let you down because we haven't allowed you to have any kind of like pop culture reference rabbit trail or something to go down. I, just, I don't, I feel like we've, we've, we've missed a boat here somehow. Or we saved your listeners from <laughs> looking at it that way. It was always, always entertaining to know, you know, where exactly sometimes y'all would wind up. Uh, it, it was, it was always fun to, to listen to. Yeah. So, uh, and it's been fun to talk to you tonight. It's been a, a joy and, and hopefully we can do it again. Let's let yeah. you talk about the book, you know, give that last plug of the book if you don't mind. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and thanks for having me on. I, I enjoy talking with you guys and I look forward to doing it again as, as this season, uh, goes forward and hopefully there'll be some more optimistic things to talk about. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm su- I mean, again, I'm super proud of this book 11 and 11. I, I, I just, I mean, what an opportunity, right? A St. Louis guy gets to write, I won't say the book, but a book about the 2011 Cardinals, a hardback book. And I interviewed over 60 people for it. And uh, again, just, I wanted to write it for the fans. So hopefully the fans can check it out. And I mentioned it earlier, but the website is 11 in 11 book.com 11 in 11 book.com. Yep. They definitely Great. check it out there. And like you said, if you, if you buy it through there, he'll, he'll write his, write your name and his name and anything else that's not profane in in there for you. So yeah. um, just go ahead and do that. I need to, to make a copy and, and write that. We'll see if we can do that. So, um, but again, thanks for joining us and uh, we look forward to doing it again. Yeah. And, and when you guys are at Bush, don't wait until you're inside the stadium to text me or message me on Twitter <laughs> let's meet let's meet at Musial. I'll do there it. Go. I will do it. I'll be back this summer and I'll take you up on that. that Perfect. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. Well, Alan and I will be with you next week. We're going to bring in our old friend Mark Saxon to talk a little yeah. bit about baseball. So that should be fun. So until then, for Alan and for Benjamin, I am Daniel. Good night. Good night. Tying run at second base. This game is tied. Going to third is Pujols, and it's 9-9. They just won't go away.